Hi guys, this is Mari, your co-host to PhD Trekkers, a podcast on the interface of science, sociopolitical discourse, activism, and intimate life journeys. Today, I'm, I'm coming at you with a special episode on Bridge at UMass Amherst. Bridge is a student-led initiative at UMass that focuses on revolutionizing the way that we use departmental colloquiums to highlight scholars from a variety of backgrounds with exceptional broader impacts. So if you want to learn more, join us for the rest of this episode. Hi, everybody. My name is Mariela. I am coming to you today with the Bridge founding team. And I wanted just to introduce us all to you guys for a little bit. So I'm going to start off with Nadia. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about what degree you're in and like where you're coming from? Yeah, so um, hi everyone, I'm Nadia. I am a PhD student in the Department of Environmental Conservation. Um, my research mainly focuses on um, conservation genomics. So what I do is I apply genomic tools to understand wildlife species, and I'm interested in contemporary and historical populations and what that means to the sustainability of fisheries in South America. And I'm working on a species called the Golden Dorado. It's a fish species that's really gold and pretty. Golden Dorado. Yeah, it's kind of, it's like golden, golden. You know what I mean? Um, so where I'm from, I'm from Indiana originally. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, from Purdue. From Purdue, yeah. yeah. I did my undergrad and my master's there and then decided I wanted to move to another place and get out of Indiana mm-hmm. for my PhD. <laughs> Also, it's like, who had funding for me <laughs> and where could I get in to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I'm like native to Indiana as well. So I make, so I'm Midwest and I make my way back home quite frequently. Well, frequent enough mm-hmm. for family, but yeah. Nice. And Benjamin? Dr. Benjamin Kiesling. Oh, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just got my PhD or just defended my PhD in the Department of Geosciences here at UMass, I study ice sheets and how they respond to climate change to try to improve predictions of sea level rise. I am originally from the West Coast, Portland, Oregon. I did my undergrad in Minnesota, and then I came to UMass for my master's and my PhD. I've been here for six years. Hi, I'm Raquel Bryant. Um, I'm a PhD student in the Department of Geosciences at UMass, and I study Cretaceous Paleoceanography, and I like to say that I use tiny fossils called Foraminifera to study ancient oceans. Um, and this is really important so we can better understand how our climate system works, look into the past to see how our climate system, specifically the oceans and the biosphere, reacted to old or ancient intervals of extreme global warmth. That's the kind of stuff I like. and. I'm also from New England. I've been here for my whole life. I grew up in Connecticut and I did my undergrad at Brown University in Rhode Island and now I'm here in Massachusetts. For me, being a scientist is, the idea of it foundationally is being like a role model and educated for people. So I don't see myself ever doing science just for science. I do science for my community, for communities I don't even know about yet. And it's really important to me to center all of that in my science, not just data in presenting and publishing papers, but also like reaching, engaging, connecting with people in my state, across the country, and across the world. 
My name is Nigel Golden. Um, I am a PhD candidate in environmental conservation here at UMass. Um, my research focus is Arctic ecology. The species that I study are Arctic ground squirrels, and my fieldwork takes place in Denali National Park in Alaska. Um, so I use a combination of really intimate, you know, population, demographic data, um, population genetics, um, and use that to kind of understand the vulnerability of Arctic ground squirrels uh, to climate change um, as a focus of uh, conservation efforts. Um, I identify as black and queer, and as you can imagine, there's not a lot of people who look like me in the Arctic doing field work <laughs> and research. Um, and so, you know, kind of going along with Ra Raquel just stated, you know, science for me has never just been as well for publications and, you know, like the pursuit of filling in gaps in the literature. It's also been about representation and, you know, who's in the room and who's at the table and who has speaking power. And so. And as you guys all know, I'm Mariela, just so as a little blurb. I'm a graduate student at UMass and I do work on roots and how they impact carbon and soils. I like that little bit of like what is kind of driving you to be a scientist or what's in that foundation to be a scientist. If you guys, I know I didn't ask, but if you guys have anything you wanted to add on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that both Raquel, <laughs> I don't want to repeat anything that Raquel or Nigel have said. I think that the, that was so eloquently put. There's a tendency for science to exist and i think it's it's sort of academia and science those two things aren't the same because science is happening everywhere in a lot of different forms and the academic version is just sort of one expression of it but there's a tendency for some of the science that we do in academic settings to exist as very separate from the rest of the world and i think that that has created a lot of or uh contributed to a lot of social problems that have already existed, but it's also meant that we're not doing science that is as cutting edge or as uh, applicable as it could be to the world. And so I think that being able to express why you want to be a scientist and that that has to do with other facets of your identity and it has to do with wanting to be of service to the broader community that's not just the scientific community, I think it is a different way to view what science is and what science does than I was sort of brought up seeing and knowing that there are these other ways to be a scientist has really been something that encouraged me to stick with it and has made me want to devote my career to being a scientist and staying in academia. I think I also voice the same thing Raquel and Nigel just said, um, but I think like what's really like pulling me aside from the science is just generally being like I like to learn, which is why I'm mm -hmm. doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but just kind of like the mentorship is what really drives me because I'm from, you know, like I said, I'm from Indiana and I'm from a community that is more like industrialized and like mm -hmm. this wasn't ever on the cards like for most of the time. And as I'm advancing in my career, I just see more and more like this, a, like a voice for a community or for people and to educate them um, so I can serve them so people don't get kind of cooped up in these niche areas and to broaden their minds of what's capable because I had no idea that wildlife science was a thing really mm -hmm. yeah, um, until yeah. 
it was just like a stroke of luck in undergrad. Um, but I think the mentorship really kind of drives me as well, especially as I'm advancing, I'm trying to position myself to gain more skills in that area. That makes sense. I mean, cause when we're young, all we know about these things I feel is like what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So as you guys, as I told you guys earlier, this is the bridge founding group. So I want to have a couple of questions about that. Like first off for everybody out there hearing what is bridge? This might be something you guys haven't heard about before. So I wanted to take a moment to just kind of ask what is bridge? And on top of that, like, but what does the acronym stand for? <laughs> it doesn't sound for anything. <laughs> it doesn't stand for anything now. It's mm-hmm. origin. Um, it was actually a um, pretty lengthy process coming up with the acronym. Mm-hmm. We were uh, bridge had its founding between two departments in terms of its representation. Right, you know, it's mm-hmm. gone beyond what it started as in environmental conservation and geoscience. Um, and that's in line with who the founding committee members were. And so mm-hmm. the founding of Bridge, which is going to start rolling over into the conversation about what Bridge actually is, is we wanted to start facilitating these discussions about identity, broader impacts in science. Um, and we just didn't want to have these conversations in isolation in our respective departments. We wanted there to be a lot more communication across different disciplines um, because we all suffer at the same diversity issue. Diversity issue is a problem across all of the sciences, almost across all type of professional disciplines. And so um, Bridge was in a symbolic way, Mm -hmm. us building a pathway for environmental conservation and geoscience to start having conversations with each other. Um, And maybe that also highlights how unique the situation is, is that, you know, we were all friends. Mm -hmm. We all still are friends. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, yeah, yeah. Um, This isn't a music group and we're disbanding over (laughs) issues. But this started off as all of us are friends and acknowledging that these issues exist and in conversation with each other and wanting for us to do something about it. And so we, you know, organized around bridge. Um, and, you know, I'll open up the floor to who actually wants to... Now I'm trying to think of what it actually was. Yeah, Broadening I'm trying to think of relationships <laughs> and impacts. Uh, developing discussions and discussions yeah in geoscience and eco but like nigel said i think that 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 was a very short-lived acronym and i think it is serendipitous that like bridge also seems i think what that symbolizes is still really valid in terms of Mm -hmm. what we've tried to do with the program linking departments and linking departments linking science and identity linking I would say uh, lots of the underrepresented graduate students with role models. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, that's why... Giving all these amazing s- s- scientists who are early career the bridge to come to UMass and present their work yeah. and get to, Giving you know, do platform. a seminar and all that, yeah. Yeah. Because something I felt, at least for me, when I was, like... Because when I met you guys, you guys started talking... When I met you guys, I mean, Benjamin, Raquel, and Nigel. When you guys... I start meeting you guys, you guys were giving me, like, little pieces of the idea of what you guys were thinking about. And for me, what that really felt was, like, this is going to be a way in which we can provide a platform for people that don't ever get that platform. Hmm. 
So, and in that sense, I'm thinking of also, like, when I was growing up in undergrad, when I was growing because I had no idea about, because <laughs> there's a lot of growing up one does, and oh, in undergrad, yeah. definitely. One thing I always kind of thought to myself, I was like, um, I guess Mexicans don't really, and I'm Mexican, but I was like, I guess Mexicans don't, aren't really professors, because I never mm. met another, mm. like, Latino, and I was, that was normal for me. I didn't really think too much about it. I was like, oh, and I was always thinking, I was like, I've never met, like, a Latina sol- a biogeochemist or a black biogeochemist. So I was like, I guess this is just what it is. And I just went on with that idea as I was going through, not really, really critically thinking about it. And I think once you guys, like, when I started meeting you guys and, like, just having more time and more voices to kind of, like, poke at that, that really helped me, re- like, see, like, this is one way in which we can open that to that narrative to be different so that you know people actually get to connect and see themselves in those positions yeah and that was totally part of the motivation like I I have a very like I have pictures like like things that I've seen that I remember and in our department we put up a poster for all of our invited like our colloquium our weekly seminar and we put up all the posters like for the whole year like on this built like what is it a poster board yeah. in our department like it's very prominent you can see like look at all the wonderful people we've invited to give lectures in our department mm-hmm. and you walk by it and it's just a a sea of white men right and so that's a very yeah. visual and we've talked about it in Stockbridge you walk into Stockbridge yeah, oh, and you yeah. just see it's the wall of white men great white men of white soil men. stuff okay yeah. and so for our, us it was like this wall of white men who we invited and paid to come speak at our campus mm-hmm. ACK and it's I think even it's put into starker contrast when right across from that bulletin board is the poster of all of the members of our department and especially at the student level there's actually quite a big diversity of backgrounds represented in the student population. And you just don't see any of that reflected in who's being invited to speak and share their science. And yet we find that in a lot of STEM disciplines, there's this unspoken rule that graduate students must attend weekly seminar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This idea that this is one of those like social capital networking opportunities if someone comes from a different campus you have to meet with them and talk with them and learn for them for me as a black latina mixed race geoscientist a woman in geoscience i'm not what do i have to learn from them coming to campus like what are they gonna are they even gonna see me like yeah Mm -hmm. so the idea that i'm required to go Mm -hmm. and meet with them was really it was upsetting when i really started thinking about it and so Mm -hmm. to me like the idea of bridge is to be a way to interrupt that, mm. to disrupt that cycle, to say, mm-hmm. okay, if you're going to like basically force graduate students to go to this, how about you bring somebody that, first of all, they want, give graduate students a say in who comes, but secondly, who has something to actually give us, mentoring, being a role model, ex- experience, just mm-hmm. sh- even sharing like their own struggle with identity and science. That's not something that I necessarily am going to get from my supervisor, like, in my department but if we're bringing these folks to campus we might as we ought to bring someone that brings a lot of value or bring something new to our department because i feel like with time as i've grown some more (laughs) within my phd i was like well like i first came in with ideas of what i wanted to do in the future like all this work with on the ground with some of the communities that i that i connect with back home 
And I was like, but I don't really see that being worked on in PhDs. I don't really mm. see that being worked on within these research groups. And even furthermore, when I talked to professors, what really frustrated me a little bit was that the ones that were connected to communities or working on these issues, they didn't do it deliberately. It just happened. Mm. Their main purpose or main thing that drove them was like, something cool in science and I'm like oh that, that's cool with me too like I like some of these things I'm like but I I I value it even more if it's something I can see come back yeah. to my community and like have its combined purpose like I can really enjoy understanding these interactions in like soils but like it gives it even more of a of a purpose more of like a, a rush like some kind of adrenaline if I can find its use in fixing a problem that I've seen and I feel like when I was in graduate, when I'm still in graduate school, but as I was in, going through graduate school, I was like, I don't see anyone talking about these things or connecting to these things. And honestly, when we brought these first bridge scholars, that was like one of the very few times I saw someone talking about connecting back to their community or working on putting the science to use in, in, in something that was like very personal per se. And I love that and I feel like that that's something I want to be able to keep bringing because I feel like that's also a reason why we don't see like underrepresented groups mm-hmm. within like, professors or the academia. This may have been a talking point that I used when I started to try to rope in Nadia um, was that <laughs> just jump in, is that you didn't uh, have to try hard we We've been very intentional about the type of questions we're asking, not only in terms of the point of diversity in academia, um, but also the point of colloquium as well. Mm -hmm. Um, This is going back to where Raquel was stating that it's an unspoken rule that, you know, you have to show up to colloquium, to seminar, and you have to participate and engage. Um, But it's a tradition that we often don't question what's the what's the intent what's the purpose for and you know I don't know how long ago seminars and colloquium began to happen but I what I do know is that the folks who were in the room were very different from what it is now and this gets back to Benjamin's point if you look at who's invited and who's actually in the room, you know, there's a lot more diversity at the graduate level. I can't speak for geoscience, but the last I looked at eco, it's, you know, at least near gender parity, where I think there's a lot more women in the program Mm -hmm. than there are men. But if you look at who's being invited to campus, that's not being reflected. So now that we've talked about, like, what really pushed us into it, I wanted to kind of, like, explain, like, what is bridge? You're hearing all these ideas, all these feelings, like, how did that cement itself into, well, we're still wor- working on that part, but how is that, <laughs> like, th- like thriving? How is that put into our departments? Like, how do we make that a thing? How do we make that something that people buy into? And how do we work towards that? And just to give, like, a little bit of a synopsis, bridge invites early career underrepresented uh, scholars to campus and when they're on campus they give the regular seminar talk that we've been talking about Um, but they also are provided with a lunch where they get to talk to students and they they also get to hold another kind of event where they talk to students about their broader impacts and so the way that we've kind of 
named these is you have your bridge to science, which is the regular seminar talk, your bridge to students, which is when the scholars get to have that time, that quality time with just students to talk about whatever the students want to talk about and whatever pieces of advice that the scholars might be able to bring to them. Um, and bridge to impacts is whenever they're talking about the broader impacts of their work and that can take on any shape and form. I'll let you guys, if you wanted to add anything to that. Yeah, well, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about like the, some of the reasons we don't have more participation, broader participation in science in general. And I think it's a relevancy question, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking back to like my first year in graduate school. I obviously just felt very alienated from everyone in my department. I felt like I tried to make friends with people in my department and nobody mm-hmm. really wanted to engage. People like straight up didn't look at me in the hallway. People oh God, c- yeah. called me Rachel. No one would say my name. Like Raquel's actually hard or something. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't go to any of the colloquium. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Why would I go to an extra space to just not also not feel welcome? Yeah. And every time I looked at the picture, it was not somebody I wanted. Like it didn't look like somebody who would maybe welcome me for once. You know, like mm-hmm. I never went. And it wasn't until Benjamin like was like, hey, do you want to coordinate the seri- the seminar series with me? That I actually started going. I never went before. I didn't feel like it was a space for me. I didn't understand the science. I, it made me feel dumb. It made me feel isolated. It made me feel alone in my department. I never went. And I just thinking about what it would have, what it, well, it's a reality for some first-year first, first year students now mm-hmm. to see a technical talk, like a science talk, with a face that might look like theirs, coupled with, oh, and then they're going to talk about their broader impacts. That's, like, right there, already more welcoming for underrepresented students, but it goes back to this relevancy piece. So like, if I don't understand why I'm doing this for my community or for the broader impact, I'm not doing the science, right? The science really has to be coupled with that greater good piece. And by presenting our bridge scholars with their science and their impacts, that's kind of achieving that. It's giving students different ways to connect with the scholars coming to campus and actually interact and engage with the colloquium or the seminar series. Um, just to connect to that relevancy point that Raquel is making, and I think Raquel was also right when she said earlier that Bridge is kind of disruptive in that we're doing something different, but I think there's also a sort of funny component to this where we're actually trying to make a colloquium more like it should be to have the (laughs) most relevancy for scientists. And I think about how for work that is done in my field, the National Science Foundation is the primary funder, and the National Science Foundation requires proposals to be evaluated on their intellectual merit and on their broader impacts. And so much of what I've heard just kind of in the hallways, around the water cooler, is that broader impacts are a joke, it doesn't matter, there's this like long-standing resistance to them, and I think part of the reason is because for a long time the there was an overrepresentation in science of people who didn't really feel strongly that the work they were doing was for their community it was kind of focused like on the data just for data's sake and so this sense that you should be doing science that's relevant to society and that is engaging with the public is not really popular at the highest levels of academia but it's actually what we get funded on now and Mm -hmm. I think another thing that was like motivating for all of this was that we on many of us on the founding committee had known each other through having NSF 
graduate research fellowships. And from that, we had known you have to have broader impacts coupled to your work in order for something like that to get funded, right? And Mm -hmm. if it gets funded, you get all this flexibility and you get to actually do your science. And so I think that the relevancy of Bridge is also in addressing this reality that actually we're funded to do science that has social impacts. And yet when people come to give a colloquium, they never spend half of the time talking about why does this matter to people? How are we taking this work out into the world? What are the broader impacts of this work? And if it's going to be something that's useful for graduate students, I do strongly feel like those sorts of, that sort of information would also be really useful for us to get. And so one of the things that I think we've tried to do is to remind everyone that like, hey, you're doing colloquium a certain way because that's the way that you've always done it, but it doesn't mean that that's actually the most effective way to achieve your goals. And if your goals are supporting student success and fostering collaborations and allowing people to make connections that are going to enhance their careers, then you need to be focusing part of that time on broader impacts. Well, in that same vein, a lot of students don't ever see examples of broader impacts. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You don't, you can't, like, <laughs> you can't yeah. ask your supervisor or your, like, main research advisor for advice on broader impacts for the most part. Like, they're going to be like, what? You mean that part that I, like, flub through every time I submit a grant? Like, and that was another thing. We wanted to give a platform for, in my personal experience as an underrepresented scholar, like, I know I have, like, a longer CV in terms of broader impacts work than the average graduate student. And I felt like, what would, like, what would I want if I, if I was that, like, if I'm going to be that kind of scientist, like, what would I want? And a platform to talk about the impact of my science is, that sounds so cool. And mm-hmm. that's why when we came up with the idea, I think we were like, we we want this to be like a workshop or it could be a lecture or a panel. We were trying to think broad ranging because we have no examples of impacts. Like we don't yeah. see examples every day. And so even it was hard for us to like think of what would this be? What can this be? And I think every scholar has really taken it to mean something individual to them. And that's why they've all been so outstanding because it's, you can tell it's people being like, wait, I've always, I've always wanted this platform to talk about this and I'm having it now. And yeah, every every Bridge to Impacts event I've been to has been like one of the best campus events ever. Like, I mean, I'm biased, but still, it's yeah, it's just that actually have those concrete examples, not only of the broader impacts, but also of people existing as more than just their science. Like yeah. going back to that identity piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you know, if you think about it, with just like everything that Raquel was saying earlier about like feeling like you don't belong in that space when you were doing the seminars. Imagine what the underrepresented early career professors feel when they have to come to these Mm. homogenous universities and they're only being asked about their research, they're being grilled about their research, like maybe the 48 hours that they're there on that campus and stuff, and nobody really cares about the other elements to their, to that, their, their identity. So I feel like as much as, like, I love this initiative just because of what it does for the students, but on top of that, I, like, I love it even more for the fact of what it can provide for the people that are coming to talk to us. Because, mm-hmm. I'm like you said, like, if this was you in the future, you would so much more value being able to go to a campus and talk about your impacts, talk about this part of yourself, than yeah. if it's just, like, oh, I'm just going to University YG and I'm giving another talk. Like, what makes that more special than... Right coming to UMass and giving <laughs> a talk about my broader impacts as well as my science. 
And that's very interesting that you bring that up, because um, from what I've read in terms of, you know, diversity at the faculty level, you know, being from an underrepresented, you know, marginalized background is that oftentimes when we're invited to speak and engage with larger audiences, it's not about our science. It's about the barriers that we face in academia, which has its place and which is absolutely necessary, you know, especially if it's going to galvanize action from the folks who are seeking to use that knowledge. But also at the same time, it does us a disservice as scholars. You know, that often is parallel in importance with the actual research and science that we're doing. So one of the other things that I enjoy about the British scholars is that not only do they have phenomenal broader impacts and not only are they thinking deeply and critically about their broader impacts and what they're bringing to the table as a scientist, but also their research is phenomenal as well. Mm -hmm. And we were very intentional about that. So, you know, we were having a bit of a conundrum in terms of imagining what bridge to impacts look like, but we were very intentional about the bridge to science. We were like, it's absolutely necessary that they come and talk about their science yeah. because mm-hmm. in a regular embedded in a regular department series, right? Embedded mm-hmm. in a regular department series, because even at the faculty level, we don't have that type of exposure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just very interesting that you brought that up. Oh, and I just want to let y'all know we are drinking a little wine. So if you hear a little now and then <laughs> just dismiss us, that's fine. Hey, we're um, all here amongst friends. We're all, here amongst we're friends. all friends. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and there's nobody tinkling in the bathroom. It's just... Oh. <laughs> Nigel brings up an important point because uh, I think our one of the most recent Bridge Scholars was just talking about the idea of like being a diversity hire and mm-hmm. how like mm-hmm. even, and I've even seen this in, in just with my own eyes and certain places but like you could be not hired for diversity reasons like just normal but people I mean it's happened to me I had people tell me to my face I got into brown because I'm black I've had people tell me to my face it would be easy for you to get a GRFP I have people tell you say these things to my face right so I know like I know I'm gonna get hired somewhere and it doesn't matter why or when or how or who made the decision I'm I will be labeled a diversity hire so the idea I see it as like stealthily sneaking in especially black women when we bring black women as bridge scholars because how, for how many departments is that the first time that a room full of distinguished scientists in whatever department has to pay attention to the science of a black woman? Mm-hmm. Probably the first time in many of those departments. And <laughs> The so, first! Yeah, I yeah. see Bridge also as like a vehicle, going back to the disruptive nature of it, of just inserting. Here's this black <laughs> woman, this dope black woman who does research in your field and you have to listen to her. You got you. She's coming for your mm-hmm. seminar. Mm-hmm. That to me is also just so critically important. Like diversity, hire my ass. You have to watch the science. Like, yeah, <laughs> you have to be. You're in the room and you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. I think like that was a really key part of the whole bridge vision was that these scholars were going to be embedded into existing lecture series in different departments, and now that's happening, and that's so fantastic because it was what we always wanted. But I think it hides some of the fact of how just how difficult that was and I don't think that I anticipated actually Mm -hmm. how difficult it was going to be to get like a single slot reserved and it's it's I'm laughing because it's just kind of funny to look back on it now that we were sort of naive and thinking that like this is this is what we want to see and we're going to be able to make that happen and then there were just so many obstacles along the way to, to actually getting there 
that's the other thing I wanted to talk about. Like, you're telling me about how great this is oh. for students and, like, faculty, but, like, but how do fee? you get the people, you know, to do it? How do you get, like, if I'm a student here coming, hearing to this, like, how do I get my department to do this? Or, like, where do I start? Or yeah. what? how did you guys start? I feel like the first step is to know that you're going to get resistance every step of the way. I think... <laughs> every single step of the way. way. Even when it seems like it's... <laughs> you're over here shaking because you're no, like, I know true. this it's too true. well. No, it's true. Even when it seems like it's an easy ask, like, well, we made this so easy for you. It would be hard for you to say no. They will say no. They will say no. And really the whole idea started because a bunch of people said no to me and Benjamin. And we were we were just trying... We were just trying to get a seminar series that was exciting, that covered, like, the many different disciplines in our department, but also included some non-white men faces. Like, and it was hard to even, to even, like, suggest to people they, sh they might, you know, you might mm -hmm. not be inviting that broad of a group of scientists that even just doing that was hard and we were met with resistance people being defensive about why they're inviting or how they're inviting or what's the point of bringing someone if I don't know them I can't vouch for their work there are all these academic norms that popped up that were just yeah like roadblocks to us and but I think that was really good at least for me being part of the leadership to have that early experience of like we're not even doing anything that out there yet and everyone's upset everyone's upset so I kind of was primed for it all to be hard because mm -hmm. it was like starting in our department it was hard like just wanting to change something a little bit mm -hmm. was hard and so I think it all just scaled up mm -hmm. um I don't know if anyone else agrees with that but I just felt like yeah. it was it was always there's always resistance so we've just had to be really resolute in why we were doing it and gather tools and comrades mm -hmm. comrades around along the way which i think we've been really pretty effective pretty in doing that, yeah. yeah when we first started like i remember that was a part of the discussion it was okay like we're all you know active in our department we're all visible we've all contributed <laughs> in ways that go beyond what's expected mm -hmm. so like who are our allies? Mm -hmm. Who can we reach out to to provide some funding or to provide some, you know, other type of, you know, material support? Um, and that's also one way um, in which Bridge has been successful is that um, we've all been, you know, we've all contributed a lot to our own departments and in our own individual ways, we've collected a lot of support in different types of communities and it was being able to reach out to those communities and those allies and ask you know sometimes a very small ask you know like yeah. can you do this for us mm -hmm. and yeah i think more often than not even though we were getting resistance from the folks that we were questioning and trying to improve things for the folks who were on our side were you know more than willing to engage and help mm -hmm. and just to know what nigel was saying i think one important thing to take uh, is that even though like like we're working with our own seminar groups, our own departments, they're the ones providing the pushback. As we talked about how this is also highlighting broader impacts, like use the pieces of this initiative to like go to the right heads in the mm. university to kind of get, you know, that support as well. I think that's also something that was very useful for us because whenever a department said, no, I'm not funding this part of it, we were able to find someone else who could 
you know, just by the fact that this is something that's very relevant to where science is supposed to be pushing to right now, because of that, we were able to find bigger, I want to, I keep saying bigger heads, but I don't know what else to call them. It's like just higher ups. Higher ups. There we go. Higher ups that can, you know, help give more of a push or more of a lending hand. What I'm trying to say is like, just go in expecting the resistance Raquel is talking about and not to get all the help or all the support you would want from that one entity, like your department. Nadia, how did you feel about that? About the... About, like, um, I guess this narrative of resistance, like, it being, like, kind of an uphill battle. Did you feel that way? No, because I think I joined a little, like, after things were, like, planned. You know Mm. what I mean? Mm. And this is when everyone was like, this is exciting. Mm. And, you know, that I think you guys already had, like, a couple talk, like, like a couple scholars come at this point. I think we But... I don't remember. Um... I think we had like three. I think we had three. Maybe but that two. doesn't mean I wasn't. They were, they were like plants in various yeah. stages of planning. Yeah, there are various stages of planning. <laughs> but like, I mean, I've been we've been at meetings where we've run into some issues with, you know, whether it's funding, which is one big hill to climb, or butting heads with other, I don't know, if you're trying to vouch for space in like certain. Mm. Uh, seminar series when there's other things going on and I think that can also within your department so I didn't really catch a lot of it but I do believe it fully (laughs) that it all all happened and I think I think one thing that's probably because I can only imagine right like how much work this took but also this is something like how this is, I don't know if this is the way the discussion should go or if we should go down this rabbit hole, but like, you know, how do your advisors acknowledge your work with this? I mean, mm-hmm. we, don't have to, we don't have to name names. <laughs> um, but like, you know, in general, like, you know, it's not, it's not like we have to go like that personal, but like, you know, in terms of grad students and advisors, and, and this is something everyone sitting in this, around this microphone right now are very passionate about. And this isn't, this is something obviously if we're willing to devote this much time to it's important to us but that doesn't necessarily that's not like the currency of academia i think that's what dr hernandez the scholar just said like what's the currency in um academia and it's at, you know it's i don't know how where i'm leading with this i just wonder you know the, how much work you guys put into it it's like how were how was that met with and in terms of where do you think your advisors could have improved on hmm with that. <laughs> well, I will just or say... Or just, like, in general. Yeah, just yeah, a very no, general... They're great. Yeah, they're great questions. It's a weird question, and I will say one thing. Currency money, we won a grant to do this, right? right. And that's literally... People talk about CV line items. That's a CV line item. I won... Right. Mm-hmm. A good amount of money to start an initiative. Twenty five hundred dollars. I think it's good actually to be transparent about like what we started with yeah. Yeah. and where yeah. that's gone, right? right? Yeah. Actually, because yeah. I think that was. I think it's important to recognize that that was huge for us. Yeah, that was yeah. the campus climate improvement grant. Right. So shout out to like UMass and their their dedication to letting the community steer conversations on inclusion and equity on campus. I think that's really cool, and the campus climate improvement grant program is so dope. And that, yeah, but I, like in terms of making it seem real to an advisor, I think that's something yeah. that we were really, 
we were trying to keep that front of mind when realizing, okay, all this extra labor we are putting in to start this, how do we make it, like, not only pay off for the scholars we're inviting here, but pay off for all of us team members who mm-hmm. are working on it, and I'll, yeah, the idea of writing a grant and winning a grant, right? That's something mm-hmm. you're supposed to get practice with in academia. Yeah. Well, you know, I got practice. Maybe it's a different <laughs> way. <laughs> but I, I, I did that. Like, I could say I won yeah. that grant. So yeah. I'm lucky that I don't really have an advisor that, you know, knows everything I'm doing. You know, so I. Oh. Okay, sorry. That's oh, right. this is Laura. You're fine. Oh. <laughs> sorry, good. We're just like recording a podcast with Mariella oh, for sorry. a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Laura knows all about recording podcasts. Oh, Hi, Laura. She has a podcast of her own. Yeah. Lab Talk with Laura. Definitely tune in. It's amazing. Hey, no, this is awesome, actually. <laughs> yeah, sorry to butt into your podcast. No, you're good. So I'm going to say to listen to it now. Um, Marsh is in the car, so I'll just like. Say hi, bye. Bye, Laura. Just say hi. Um, there's another bottle of prosecco. Oh, okay. That also could be um a possibility. Um, you were talking about your advisor. My advisor, yes. yeah. He's not so on top of of like what I'm doing mm-hmm. that he would necessarily know the little particulars of like oh I'm spending this many hours doing this or that doing that. I don't have an advisor who makes me like tell a daily log of what I'm doing or progress reports every week or even every semester. So I kind of just do my own thing. And I feel that the reason I picked the advisor that I have now is because he demonstrated to me just when I first met him and even just what he likes to talk about that like teaching is really important to him. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me it can be a green people talk about red flags it could be like a green flag for when a professor who's like so like established in the field is like really passionate about their teaching because I feel like it means they're a scientist they're a professor that has a good head on their shoulders like knows you know actually as a professor my job is the students like I, I'm supposed to teach students and so I felt like he was the type of advisor that would have flexibility in his expectations of me that I could pursue things that I want to pursue and I've always been just really really adamant that given my positionality, I ought to get good at handling doing these inclusion and equity efforts in tandem with my research. That is just something that will benefit me for my career in the long run. So when I do become a faculty member, there's going to be disproportionate amounts of service and mentoring and teaching that are expected of me. And so if I'm getting practice as a graduate student handling both those identities and juggling all of that stuff, I just feel like I'll be a more effective faculty member. Mm -hmm. So I kind of don't buy it when people are like, you need to spend all your time in the lab if you're getting your PhD. Because like I I would have quit already Mm -hmm. if I couldn't do other things. I would have already quit science. Like there's no way. Mm Because it's it's the thing that makes it worth it to me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like science is cool and all, but like by myself with my forearms and my microscope like every when you add like all the institution it gets kind of less cool so I think it's interesting that our advisors do think well they kind of dictate how you spend your time depending on what kind of advisor you have like I'm involved in another organization on campus and there are people in that org who hide the fact that they're in it from their advisor because their advisor would I mean I don't even I don't know what would happen but like just their faces like if my advisor found out I was here Mm-hmm. And I, I can't imagine that. So I can't necessarily speak to, like, people who might have more. Yeah. Or, I mean, maybe Nadia, you can, because your advisor is younger. So there might be other pressures and stuff. My advisor is really established at UMass. Yeah. Well, um, there's all, like, different advising styles. And I think if we're yeah. talking about starting something, like, a, for the student or somebody's listening to this and they want to initiate this in their own campus, not only the resistance they're going to feel, like, 
from higher ups as they're trying to reach out to see funding or whatever that they can get. But like, there's also the potential resistance you might be facing from your advisor mm-hmm. as well. It's just, it's not something to deter you from not doing it, but mm-hmm. it's like, be realistic with, you know, but that's why I think you guys got a crew of people to all kind of work on this together instead of that's, I think what I would hope people would do and not just one person, but just try to find people who also value your, mm-hmm. the same values that you have. Yeah. And yeah. this ties completely back to one of our bridge scholars that just visited. And this is exactly why bridge is important. Like during bridge to students, a time where, you know, it's a couple times of the year where I get to talk to a scientist that looks more like me than any other scientist I interact with. And they give me advice that's even just about bridge. Like she was saying, like, when you do this diversity and equity work, like pay yourself for that. Write a paper mm-hmm. about it. Publish it. Yeah, I had somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin for a while yeah, has been... really been pushing oh us to. You should have been I there. You would have got on been. the table. And <laughs> she, was like, she was like, you after yeah, no, but after the lunch, she looked at me. She's like, you need to write write this up. At, write this, and it, but it was but like okay yeah you've been saying that right but like I nobody would have gave me that advice like an yeah. advisor or yeah. something right yeah. but yeah. she gave me that advice at Bridge to Students right yeah. and I'm putting it on but she's still giving right that's yeah, like the exactly. power of it and the point mm-hmm. um, but I think that's important too so now I'm going to keep telling people that and in ways like we've done that like we've presented at meetings about Bridge tried to like you know those are abstracts that are online and get it shows that you're presenting and you're showing mm-hmm. the work to other people but just this idea that it counts just as much right mm-hmm. and even another tip she said she's like you can work into your tenure that like it's publications no matter what not publications mm-hmm. certain journals so if you publish in journal of geoscience education or you publish in higher ed like that still counts and so there's space for these kind of initiatives mm-hmm. to actually pay you back in mm-hmm. in the long run I think that that is important and just is like tying into something that's in my brain. I mean, there's relevancy is really important. I think it's also important to maintain a balance between doing things that are relevant and being recognized externally in some way and doing things because you are just yourself driven to do them like you personally think it's Mm. important. I think we need to preserve space for doing things because we personally are passionate about them regardless of their relevancy however now all the jobs i've been on the job market was last year and still i'm applying for jobs most jobs now ask you to write a whole separate statement about diversity and inclusion and this kind of work of doing bridge and encouraging conversations about broader impacts that's exactly the kind of material that jobs are looking for you to be able to talk about in a convincing and showing that you have experience with all of that stuff so when it comes to whether or not an advice or how supportive of an advisor is your advisor of participation in something like this it i think it's really directly relevant now to what the job market looks like i mean actually talking about diversity in science is not a niche topic which is like it's kind of shocking how much resistance that we Mm. experienced given that the biggest national organizations in science are all thinking about why science looks so homogeneous still to this in 2019. And so I think that just ties in that there's like a relevancy and a capital from doing this kind of work that is actually allowing you to 
continue in the system and and to be like validated externally which it's it's saying that is a little bit trouble it feels weird it's troublesome Mm -hmm. because i think it goes back to what markel said in the beginning about like this is disruptive and it's Mm like well okay is it disruptive or are you just another like cog in this big system that has somehow managed to monetize something that you just felt really passionate about um and so there's no simple answer to that but that's my (laughs) contribution if i can comment on that um, I absolutely agree with you, but it's not just for um, faculty positions or jobs as well. Like developing a track record for being able to do this work has paid off in you know many different ways for each of us individually. Mm-hmm. So I um, recently got the Switzer Foundation mm-hmm. Fellowship, Ooh. and part of the work and they emphasize on you know supporting the next generation of environmental leaders. Um, and they've started to take a much more nuanced position on equity in environment, environmental sciences, the environmental movement and policies and economics. And the work that I kept circling around to was like, look, this is how I'm a leader because of this work that I've been doing in Bridge. And also emphasizing that this is not work that I'm doing on my own, but you know, this is work that I'm doing with my collaborators and learning from my collaborators and being inspired by my collaborators who are really just my best friends in real life <laughs> as well. Um, and so, like, not only is it applicable in that way, but also it can just serve as a model of this is how this work needs to be done, right? Like, identify an ally who, you know, at the time were my best friends and we're learning from each other, we're in conversation with each other, we're rotating with each other around this issue and taking ownership of different aspects of it. Um, and it's turned into this beautiful opportunity that we can use to elevate ourselves and you know, propel ourselves as we're moving through these different career trajectories. I think a lot too about like the quote unquote soft skill development. Mm. And I didn't know how to like, run a meeting or have like a meeting agenda those were all foreign (laughs) concepts to me until i joined another student org at umass it's called graduate women in stem and it was just like i was like wait that makes so much sense like have a list of the things you want to talk about Mm -hmm. and like organize your meeting okay cool i just like went to a meeting they had that one time i was like cool then i needed to have like a committee meeting and I sent out an agenda for my committee meeting, and like everybody came to my committee meeting, being like, "Oh my god, like so organized and ready." Like, there's an ag-. like I could see how just having that structure to the meeting, people like were taking the meeting more seriously. People didn't get there and just start talking. They were like, "Okay, well, the first agenda item is this," and I was like, "Whoa, there's like power in organization." Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I finally realized I was like, maybe that's like what business school is. Okay, not interested, <laughs> but like, okay, now I get that. Now I get this. There's yeah, Eisenberg, like, I see you. I was like, okay, there's like a thing. This is like uh-huh. a thing. And I also see Bridge and other student orgs like this as a way for graduate students who want to become leaders in whatever that means for them. Maybe you go off and run your own nonprofit. Maybe you work for the government. Maybe you do stay in academia. Maybe you whatever. Do independent research. But we don't, we're not encouraged as often to to do things outside of the box that will develop our leadership skills or develop our interpersonal skills or develop our organizational skills. And when I talk to people who are department head, they look like their head is on fire at all times because they have never had time to develop those skills ever. Mm -hmm. They've been in the lab at the bench getting their degree and then they were a good enough professor that somebody like twisted their arm and then they became department head. 
like there was no development of the skills that are necessary to actually manage people manage a department it's not even people this is like a department a budget staff faculty students and I just get excited thinking about how much more prepared I am Mm -hmm. to like take on those leadership roles just Mm -hmm. having done something like bridge like started an organization right like not Mm -hmm. many scientists can say they did that and I did Mm -hmm. so and it's very unfortunate because all of these skills that we've been developing together with each other um, is absolutely necessary for the job market, mm-hmm. right? Like this, mm-hmm. these are things that are constantly and increasingly being expected of us as we're leaving academia. Yeah. So there's a disconnect between what we're actually being prepared for once we finish our dissertation right and get our credentials you know which is just a which is just a stop along the road in terms of the actual work that we'll be doing for the rest of our lives um and bridge has been really important in that aspect um as well so thank you raquel for for saying that Mm -hmm. i'm actually really curious because i've never i don't think we've had this conversation before but what are your raquel brought up a moment this is what made me think of it at the last Bridge to Students, when someone said something that was very influential for Raquel. Does, do other people have examples of when they think of Bridge? What are the moments that... I have a thousand. Interactions? I have a thousand <laughs> like, more. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, lo- I would love to hear about that. Well, and, well, someone else. Yeah, someone else start because you, you said one. But. but unless you need time to think, because I have one. I literally have one friend of mine. Go for it. Um, we had a bridge scholar last semester who took the time to acknowledge all of her privileges. Mm-hmm. And I had never realized, Nadia is very intimate with my privileges because she read my blog post about it. But I had never realized how powerful that could be. It's mm-hmm. something like, I went to a really liberal hippie dippy school, right? So we talked about privilege like a lot. And I think one thing I always was like wondering under my breath, I was like, yeah, but we're all privileged because we're here. Like we're all brown. So mm-hmm. like we were talking about that. And I... I've always felt like, and I, it was only writing the blog post reflecting on this bridge scholar that I realized I was feeling really like confused about how to best use my privilege Mm -hmm. and how, cause how do you like leverage your privilege in an ethical way if you're sitting in a room for people who don't think privilege is a thing, Mm -hmm. right? Those kind of like really nuanced (laughs) things, like I don't know what to do. And we had a bridge scholar who just stood up during her, like during her bridge impacts at the end was like, Okay, I just told you all about my life journey and, like, things that were hard for me. Here's the shit that was easy. Here are all my privileges. And I was like, oh, my God, that's what you can do. You can, like, say them out loud and make them real and then make them actionable. Mm -hmm. So that was really pivotal for me, just to think I want to be a great scientist, right? And I want to be a good mentor for lots of different students. But this was something I was struggling with. I felt like at the base of my identity to like reconcile. Mm-hmm. And I just so much, she was so simple what she did, but it was also just so impactful and just mm-hmm. left such an impact on me. And like, I will carry that forever. I think I can also build on, that was also an impactful moment for me as well. Um, is having somebody just like lay it all out there and, and we had some privileges alike, right? And I was like, oh, I, I never thought about that. One of them being like able-bodied. And, um, but another thing that I remember being like, huh, I didn't think about that. And I kept thinking like this particular thing throughout the whole thing. And then by the end of like her talk, I was like, wait a minute, that's me. And she was talking about how one of um, her privileges was that 
her sister took care of her parents and that kind of alleviated her Mm -hmm. from like Mm -hmm. the responsibility of taking care of her parents so she could pursue her career. And I was like sitting there thinking about it and I was like, wait a minute. I was like, (laughs) my family leans on, I I seem to be the person in my family um, that's kind of like the go-to person if you're having a not like a problem, like a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I'm the person that everyone can talk to my mm-hmm. family. And I'm also, one. yeah. And I don't know. Maybe it's cause I like to fix things. I don't mm-hmm. know. But, um, and I was like, when she said that and she was like, you know, it's kind of alleviate, like, like freed me at least from a stress that she didn't, she, not to say she wasn't worried about it, but maybe just, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. um, she was her her. yeah. And, and after she said, I didn't even recognize that until she said that I was like wait I was like I do that all the time for you know my family and it, it's not to say we that was like I it's really happy for her that she had like a sister who could do that you know and everything mm-hmm. but it just made me also position myself like thinking about it more critically mm-hmm. um and what's kind of you know as I'm making my way through my career there's other things to life than just your career right um and I thought that was something that made me really think but I thought it was really awesome that she put it there and she also put like you know you should i think which is raquel's blog post if you want to read it but it's like read it identify (laughs) it like (laughs) like revisit your privileges often right (laughs) because it's gonna shift as you're going through your life and i think it's something important to think about i just have to add on nadia's head because that was awesome and i think what the scholar brought up too was that if we don't acknowledge these things that made it easier for us then we're not acknowledging that that could be different for someone and make it harder for them. Mm -hmm. So that's like another barrier. And so just even Nadia bringing up her personal experience, like, okay, so now that we know some graduate students are privileged and that they're not taking care of their families, they just get to do their science. That means that there are graduate students like Nadia that are really concerned about their families are really involved, even if they're far away. You know, I have friends who are international. Their families are 12 plus hours away, right? Mm -hmm. But they might be like that rock for their family. So when you have graduate students and this expectation is that their whole life is the lab, Mm -hmm. who are you putting up extra barriers for with that expectation, right? And so when we're talking about retaining diverse scholars, that means thinking broadly about what other responsibilities outside of science, outside of scholarship that these graduate students might have. One of the things that I just like always think about um, is how often these scholars who are early career faculty members in different institutions are just so very different from the faculty members that I interact with on a daily basis. And it's it's such a pleasure to see that there are mm-hmm. other modes of being a faculty member mm-hmm. in academia. There's, I like, I never thought, I never would have thought um, this goes back to one of another scholar. All of our scholars have very powerful minds. Um, one of our scholars advocated as part of their tenureship package that, you know, Raquel was alluding to cultural taxation earlier. Like, because of my positionality, there's all this type of work that I have to do that I'm not credited for in the currency of academia. And this scholar in particular was able to say, okay, like, this is going to be part of my tenure package. Because if I'm going to do this work, it needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be valued, which is not the currency of academia for equity, diversity, inclusion. And so, like, these scholars just keep 
introducing new modes of what it means to be a faculty member. And it's very powerful. It's very illuminating. And it gives me a lot of hope, right? Mm -hmm. Like, my imagination for what it was like to be a faculty member was very different before we initiated Bridge. It even made you consider staying in academia. Oh. Um, <laughs> for a brief moment. <laughs> and um, I, my expectation is that we're going to continue to come across scholars who just have new ways of being a mm. faculty member. And if I, you know, I know I'm not alone in that impact. Also know this is, you know, happening for other students. So yeah. we often collect... We, also, we often survey um, the folks who come out to these events. And so we know that the scholars are very impactful. We know that we've definitely touched upon a need and that this work is necessary. Um, and so, you know, thank you for this question, Benjamin, because it's often, it's, it's, it's essential for us to revisit this question. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what is the impact that it's having on us? Well, I, your response, I told Mariela she had the answer but then I really want to say something after what you said because of just about modes of like being a faculty member or a scientist there was a bridge scholar who talked about the fact that so there's this uh thing that I hear all the time which is that when you get a faculty position you just put your even if you have interests that are outside of like directly your research like diversity equity science communication whatever you just get tenure And then once you have tenure, you're safe. And then you can start to think about other things that are not directly in your research. That's always what I've heard from so many people. And we had the scholar come and said, you know, when I get hired pre on a tenure track, there's six years until I'm going to go up for tenure. Most people don't have six years of job security. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Maybe there's like a check in the middle. And they framed it as this is actually a lot of job security. And if they don't want me to be doing the work, that I care most deeply about, then at the end of that six years, I don't want to work for them either. And that reframing, <laughs> we're taught so often that like, if you get a job, then you should be grateful for the job that you get. And I mean, it like, it is tough. It's hard out there, but I think that that devalues people's, their own passions and what they care most deeply about and how they want to center their experiences or their identity in the work that they do rather than just, submitting themselves to a system that's going to erase who they are and where they've been. And that moment, that was such a eye opening moment for me because I had never seen a faculty member say like actually being on being pre tenure is also a form of privilege Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you can choose to put your head down and just focus on your work until you have more privilege. Or you can say, maybe this is enough and I can do things from here and maybe they'll actually value me for that and if you don't you don't deserve me period Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think one thing like out of because i think what probably what what i see from like the bridge to impacts um talks is like what i really love about it is i'm learning something new every time Mm -hmm. whether even though they're sharing their trajectory but then they're doing something else with their talk they all share their trajectory to a certain extent. But even that, I'm learning something different, a different point of view that I hadn't thought of. And I think that's really critical because we don't all have the same stories and we all have a lot to learn. Um, and this is the space to, and I'm really happy that we have scholars who have come and 
they're willing to be vulnerable and to open their story up a little bit. And I think that's, it really impresses me because I, you know, I don't, I don't, wouldn't say I don't expect it, but you know, it can be, it can drive anxiety about, you know, possible rejection if you're Mm. being vulnerable Mm -hmm. to an audience you don't really know. But I think that's been one really great thing is that I've learned something new every time. And I love that they get to share their trajectory in, in a more, um, secure and like safe space yeah. mm-hmm. for me i just love saying that because you were looking so nervous and then you got so excited <laughs> and i'm like i can see you like, you're trying to <laughs> but uh for me i think i'm gonna have to shout back to the first rich scholar that we ever had um mm-hmm. just because like rosie mars name her say her name um she when she presented to us about how so she's a scientist now right she's like work, working at NCAR like she's a big scientist didn't she yeah. just get a new job she might have I don't know she got something great well she's great yeah. <laughs> she's, <incredible. laughs> she's she probably got a lot was yeah. the best first person that we could have had I for know. Bridge yeah. very open very willing to be flexible and work with things what really like hit me with her impacts talk was just that so I'm coming, I'm, I'm talking about privileges. I'm privileged because I also, I came from Cornell University and every time someone talked about working with communities, if they ever did, it was something like, oh, we came and completely changed this. Oh, we came and completely mm-hmm. did that. And I, me coming from my, my family and having seen like the struggles that my community were going through, I was like, well, I have to be at that level. I was like, I have to be that big to that. Like, cause that's the only examples I'm getting is mm-hmm. like these people who have so much power and so much privilege mm. that they're able to completely like go to another country go to another place and like sub- put themselves there i mean i i've learned so much from after having that that those things don't really always work <laughs> but at least from the perspective of an undergraduate who's trying to find a way to connect back to their community and find a way to like you know i'm studying i'm working on this but like how can i go back how can i go do something i felt like always I would have to go to another level to to get to where I want to be like it's I can't just be graduating with a bachelor's I need to go and get a doctorate I can't just graduate with a doctorate I need to go find like a position where like I'm gonna have all this power to go do that Mm. but she what she showed us is that she's sparking change and sparking help and you know doing what she can do with with her community by just like using one of the one of the things that we have now in this in in society today she has social media She's able to build a social media platform that connects her directly to her community and she can dismantle the 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 crazy science or the weird things that they're being like anything that doesn't make sense to them in terms of like weather or like cyclones or how things work like within tropical storms she can bring like she can break it down and explain that to to her community through like social media through a, a platform that like so simple it's it's so simple like it's it like it like I, I felt like i was being hit that usually happens i was being hit by a door that was just wide <laughs> <No>. open <laughs> it's like i was like oh shit i can just do that <laughs> i was like okay um it doesn't have to be impossibly hard it doesn't have mm. to be me like doing something so completely like that requires so many steps um and i feel like that's something i've been struggling with since i was like mm-hmm since I left Texas to go to college is like, mm. how do I get back? And mm. the more I struggled mm. with trying to find a way to how to get back with the way that mm. academia works and the way that science and everything works, it felt like I had to get further mm-hmm. to get back. Yeah. So I was like, 
it, it just it just meant a lot to me. And then the fact that she was like, oh, after I heard what you guys wanted, she's like, I changed my talk. And this is yeah. Well, that's, I, I actually, like, yeah. I was like, oh my God. I was like, okay. That was beautiful. Yeah. I wanted to, that's one of also my best bridge memories. It goes back to Rosimar, but she, you know, we had this vision Dr. of something. Rosimar. Yeah, Dr. Rosimar. We had this vision of something that we had never seen before. Yeah. And it was so hard to articulate it to other people. And so of when, you know, we invited her to come give her talk, she was excited. We had like all the schedule laid out and stuff. And she had a great idea for what she was going to do for the impacts. And then we drew, picked her up at the airport and we drove her to campus. And kind of at, when we got to campus, she was like, so I'm thinking about changing a little bit my impacts talk because after talking to you I think I understand more of what you're going for mm-hmm. and it was it then and her impacts talk like blew it out of the park it was exactly what we wanted and even more like more than I could have ever imagined um and it ties back I a few of our bridge scholars have articulated something that it that I also get asked about sometimes because it can be kind of problematic when you the, most people when they're invited to give a seminar they give a single talk and then the rest of the time is up to them and we are purposefully inviting people from underrepresented groups and then we're asking them to do additional work to not only give a science talk but to do these other things and so we, you have to be intentional about how you are making sure that people are compensated for the work that they're doing. And I think that it's, that's like an important conversation to have in the open. But I will say I've been really touched also by the bridge scholars who have articulated or shown that they um, were really grateful for the platform to share part of their story that they hadn't gotten to do in an academic context before. Mm-hmm. We like we've had people come that were people were like I've been thinking like, <laughs> for the past four years. Like, I had this thought and I never knew it would go anywhere. And then you were like, you can give an impact talk, and I was like, oh my god, that's it. Like, and that's like the best reaction because like yeah, we had that's no we had a vision but no real idea. And so then yeah, for Rosimar to come in and then like kind of calibrate based on our expectations she like saw our vision and that yeah. i've never felt that feeling before and that yeah. was so powerful never felt yeah. so seen right yeah. exactly. <laughs> and then to see that when we and so it was great to have like one or two examples of like yeah. to when we invite other bridge scholars to say hey this is what some other people have talked about and then people really like their mind just opens and they're like wait this is like the platform i've been waiting for to discuss yeah. this one issue mm-hmm. like thinking about the scholar who talked about privilege she had been saying like i've been thinking well, how can i have this conversation and then we give them the platform and it's like you know finally a chance where we yeah we can have the conversation start the conversation and actually get feedback on it and talk to people who are engaged and willing to talk about it that's what i mean when i I try to imagine like what would i want like Mm -hmm. when if i were a bridge scholar and that yeah to just have a space that is my own to craft around what it means to me to be a scientist and like again Mm -hmm. going Mm -hmm. back to the whole idea of like identity and science like some of us do science to do science, I guess. But some of us do science to, like, make the world a better place, right? So mm-hmm. to give folks a platform to highlight the efforts and the time and energy they've been spending to do that, where usually, like we've been talking about, it's not as recognized. Mm-hmm. as That's been, like, the greatest gift of Bridge, just to have people be so excited to be able to talk about a part of them that they haven't been able to talk about yet. Like, this is what it means to be a scientist, right? It's like... 
we're so multidimensional. Like, our identities aren't just wrapped up in our science. It's wrapped up in all these other things as well. And, like, being able to provide a platform for that is one of the most, you know, pleasurable experiences about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and another, if I can backtrack for a moment, if we're talking about Dr. Rosimar, is that um, we've had to be very intentional about who we reach out to to be bridge scholars and the work in identifying who are scholars that meet this criteria. Uh, some of the barriers that we run into is that a lot of our faculty members haven't been intentional about (laughs) making sure that their network includes scholar of color, includes scholar from underrepresented backgrounds. And the work that we've been doing is pushing back on, you know, this idea that Raquel, you bring this up a lot, that our networks are something that just happened to us. It's like, actually, no, you have to be very intentional about networking and who it is that you're producing knowledge with and what those modes of knowledge are. Um, And so from our end, it's been very good for us to, you know, establish our own bank of scholars from underrepresented backgrounds who are doing Mm -hmm. this work, who are doing phenomenal science and have absolutely phenomenal broader impacts. But in Dr. Rosimar's case, you know, she was someone who was within our own network that we could reach out to. So Raquel and I are part of this professional development program, uh, MSPhDs, Minorities Striving to Pursue Higher Degrees of Education, Earth System Sciences. Something like that. Something like that. And um, I met Rosie Mar at a conference back in 2011 at the American Geophysical Union. I was an undergrad in 2011, and Rosie Mar was currently in her PhD program um, before she moved on to her postdoc at NCAR. And... Um, one of the most pleasurable aspects about starting Bridge was like being able to reach back within that network mm-hmm. and to be able to bring Rosie Mar to UMass. And it was like, oh my God, I met you when I was an undergrad and now I'm a PhD student mm-hmm. and you're still as phenomenal as I thought you were when <laughs> I first met you back in 2011. I love that, Nigel. And I think that it's it goes back to like what Raquel had said earlier just about networks and that our... So people's networks are inherently limited by where they go and how they build their network. And one of the ways that, one of the things that we've identified that can make any seminar series more diverse and more impactful is to give graduate students Mm. the opportunity to invite people from within their network. So it's not just the faculty network. And I think that what you said just brings up an even like more important point that this is, I think, is kind of generalizable. That is, who in the room doesn't feel like they're represented? And then who in their network would they like to see? Right. Because mm-hmm. we can't expect always that the people who are up at the highest echelons are going to have folks in their network that are going to be mentors and signal what's possible for the people that are coming up but we can we can trust actually that people can identify folks within their own community that they would like to hear from that they want to know the stories of and it's really a practice of putting power in someone else's hands and saying who do you want to see on this platform yeah well i I think it's funny that you say that because i just had a thought i haven't had before but at the same time like (laughs) What would it have meant for you for, for example, our department, mm-hmm. for faculty to reach out to you and say, hey, you know, 
I realize we've had a lot of mm-hmm. old white men give seminar talks. Is there someone in your network that I can agree to host that, you know, like... Th- mm-hmm. that it would have ne- meant the world. Right, but that never happened to us, right? Yeah. And that's why Bridge is disruptive, because we just decided we were going to invite our own people. But that's, I mean, if there's any faculty who are listening to this, think about... Yeah, that's an amazing st- idea. Think just about ask who your that. students look up to, who your yeah. students are following on Science Twitter, who your students try to meet at conferences, and invite them. Don't invite mm-hmm. your friends. Don't invite people you known for 20 years if you know them for 20 years they don't need to come give a talk how about that like reach out to like the the generation you're trying to inspire and see who inspires them and bring them to campus like Mm -hmm. i don't like the excuse of like oh i just don't know any black geoscientists okay well that's a problem yeah (laughs) like fix that like i don't it's i get it yeah the up the upper people are not those aren't their communities but okay like you're saying okay well then include us Mm-hmm. Especially going back to this, how we started. If you're gonna expect graduate students to be at these seminar, mm-hmm. include us. And mm-hmm. one thing that I've learned through expanding Bridge into other departments is that I thought it was a problem in our department that graduate students didn't really have a say. Have a voice. Yeah, but I it that. is way, way, way more serious of a problem than other departments where graduate mm-hmm. students have absolutely no say in mm-hmm. who comes to campus. And Bridge has actually been a mechanism for graduate students for the first time to decide, hey, we're inviting this person. And it's really eye-opening to interact with students in other departments in that way, to see, like, you think you have this experience and you realize it's, like, (laughs) a whole other dire situation elsewhere. But just, and it just makes me think about what's it like across the country. Like, that's the diversity of experience at UMass. And just also, if there's faculty listening, like, let graduate students pick people for colloquia. Mm -hmm just do that yeah <laughs> do it and invite postdocs it, you don't have to be a professor to give colloquium okay well yeah. what, so one of the things we actually haven't talked about this but that we were super intentional with bridge about is this early career aspect mm-hmm. and the exact reason that we were intentional about it was that we had a lot of so the we colloquium is framed as this thing that's like go and network and it could be important for your career but when you go and network with people who have been in their same professor position for 30 years, <laughs> their experience on the job market and, you know, they might have more power at their own university to pull strings or whatever, but their experience navigating the job market looks so different from what it's like now. And that's been one of the most important things for me about Brit. I mean, selfishly, I've gotten to interact with all of these incredible scholars who have really diverse backgrounds, but that have all gone through recently these academic hiring mm-hmm. processes, and they have so much good advice for how to navigate that and how to take care of yourself when you're doing that. And that I never got that from the lecture series that was just in our own department. And so that, like bringing early career people, I think it's important to recognize that there are huge differences generationally in what it's like to work in academia and again and this is super biased to academia but hearing from folks that have just been through it is a really powerful way for graduate students to actually get something useful out of that experience yeah and i think like one of the examples that i can tackle onto that is like i think a lot of the times with the bridge scholars it's also it's talking about your experiences but also talking about like professional development also comes up as well and we always seem to ask about the black box of negotiating like what does that mean Mm -hmm. and how do they do it and i 
And I remember one of our scholars, Dr. Naima Harris, talked about this, where she was talking about she goes into the field for a certain portion of time. And originally when I was like going through trying to, you know, they always ask you what you want to do. Like they assume if you go for a PhD, you want to go into academia. And that's not necessarily true. But um, I was like not really for academia, like pursuing that route. Because I was like, I like getting my hands dirty too much. I like, I don't want to be stuck behind a desk writing grants mm. and everything like that. And then I heard about her experience and how, I was, and I think I asked that at the bridge to students. I was like, how did you get, how did you work that in? Mm-hmm. And she said it's all a part of the negotiation. Like she told, she like kind of laid out what she negotiated for. And she's mm-hmm. like, if it's important to you, like negotiate it. You know, mm-hmm. she did recognize that she was in a different position, that she was she didn't necessarily need the job. Like, mm-hmm. she wasn't, like, coming out of a postdoc, and she mm. had nothing else lined up. But mm-hmm. she, that was, like, the first time I got shown, like, wait, like, I can call the shots? Yeah. yeah. You know Nobody what tells I mean? you that. No. Nobody no. tells right. you that. And I, Be grateful. That, like, changed my <laughs> people tell you be grateful you're lucky to be here not that you have any power or agency yeah right and i but that didn't even like hit my that didn't even like strike my mind and i was like wait a minute so now i'm starting to entertain the idea more of academia but it's like as long as i can call it shots right and i don't know i mean it's but whatever really it's only worth it if you can do that right right like i know way too many faculty that are not happy in their current positions Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I've now met a bunch of bridge scholars who were very intentional about picking where they're going Mm -hmm. I think I asked one of our last bridge scholars about this like how do you know like institutional fit how do you pick the right place and it's like a place where you can be yourself like this agency question of like deciding what your career is going to be like but also that values you so we had another bridge scholar who basically said hey i'm the first woman of color in your department so i'm not teaching for my first year and they were like all right yeah (laughs) (laughs) right like i'm gonna have this this these students coming to me have to do this job i'm not teaching and it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, you, you've shown us the data. Like, that makes sense. You're not teaching. Mm-hmm. Again, that's not advice that my advisor would give me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't happen. So I have a question, and it's going to move us in a totally different direction. <laughs> I, like, I love how glowingly we feel about Bridge. But how do you feel we've done as an organization in terms of pushing diversity in seminars, you know, just overall? Like, you don't even have to be a Bridge scholar, Mm. to be someone who's from an underrepresented background and is invited to do seminar. You mean, in general, do you think that the idea or the existence of Bridge has pushed seminars to become more diverse? Yeah. I think so, because we're putting scientists on the radar of our departments that haven't been before. And that's like, I mean, I don't want to say it's sad, because it's also powerful that us as graduate students have kind of shifted the what's it called there's that like we've shifted the window or like expanded the window of what we think about when we're thinking about who we invite Mm -hmm. um and i it's weird because one of these questions is about like what do you see bridge in 10 years and like i still like oscillate between like does bridge is bridge successful if it doesn't exist in 10 Mm -hmm. years or is it successful if it does in 10 years like i still don't know because in a lot of ways sometimes i feel weird that like our program is the vehicle for delivering mm-hmm. uh, underrepresented scholars, and for me, particularly black women, to mm-hmm. departments because they've never been there before, and that we're like 
we are absorbing the cost of that in many ways, not necessarily just financially, but like organizing and inviting them and hosting them and, and you know, finding them and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Whereas that really department should look at their own seminars mm-hmm. and be like, wow, we haven't had a black woman. Yeah. We should do something about that. Mm-hmm. It's been us students have been doing it. So sometimes I'm struggling. Is that right? But I think that if we can be graduate students who are being a model and an example and like set, we can set the bar somewhere else because mm-hmm. we know where faculty set bars. If we can be graduate students and we can set a bar, then at least we could be a goal, something that everyone can strive for. And I think that if the a result of Bridge is that everybody's seminar series gets more diverse, like that's that is great. That like doesn't diminish what we're doing in practice. I don't know because we haven't. I mean, we're like technically collecting data right now, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, in for to put rose-colored glasses on and shout out to geosciences, Justin Misakawi and Erica Ito, you know, when Raquel and I were coordinating our lecture series in geosciences, we had a really hard time even meeting gender parity, which was one of our goals. And we shared that experience with our department. We actually gave a talk in the department where we shared sort of what were the obstacles, why it had it been so difficult. And in the year that followed us, the seminar coordinators, I think, Partially because of the fact that we had shared that, they were really also intentional about trying to make sure that there was gender parity, and there was gender parity. And that's not something that has been very common in right. when you look back in the data. And so I think in that sense, there has been an impact that you can see on, you know, like a single year. But I think Raquel brings up a really important point. You know, having Bridge sort of externalizes the process of having to put diversity in a seminar series and what we really want is for everybody in the department to just be really thinking about who's not represented who which of our students has somebody that they would like to invite etc etc um and what success looks like in 10 years is very like problematic because of that because for sure i would i wish that we never even had to do this i wish that we just Mm -hmm. lived in a world where these scientists who exist and are Mm -hmm. doing science and have incredible stories of the broader impacts of their work i wish they were being being invited anyway and already so yeah i i would love for bridge to do what you're saying but i don't know if it does to encourage there to be change that's that's external to us and so i guess my i I feel like it's been communicated in several ways that graduate students are on board We've been very successful <laughs> at recruit. I call them co-conspirators, mm-hmm. particularly because we talk about this work as being disruptive and normative, and mm-hmm. you know, pushing agenda and an agenda, you know, that's rooted in inclusivity and equity. I think to answer my own question, we've been very <laughs> successful. Because <laughs> I have I, I have ideas about it myself. You know, so. all right. Yeah, you can. You can. All right, all right, Nigel. I think that. We've been very good at engaging graduate students and getting graduate students to recognize that they have agency, that they also should be bringing to the table and that they should request from their department and that they should be asking for from their advisors and that they should be expecting from their department chairs. Um, I think we've been very good at arming graduate students that their voices matter, that they belong, and that belongingness is also tied to who's being invited to seminar series. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately where the power lies for inviting folks to campus 
Um, and this kind of relates back to some of the barriers that we've run to as faculty members. Mm-hmm. And I just personally have not seen the type of response I would have hoped for mm-hmm. from faculty members in terms of their engagement. They show up to Bridge to Science, which is like the lowest bar. Because that's the department seminar series. Because that's the department <laughs> yeah. seminar series. Yeah. But, but okay, well, so the devil's advocate would say at least they're not boycotting like the yeah. brown person talk. Yeah. But that's low bar, right? And there. Do, there are some faculty advocates that oh, yeah, I think absolutely. we should acknowledge that have been like super crucial in our success, actually, and like having people on the faculty side to back us up and say like this is super legitimate and we're really supportive of this has been awesome absolutely but you're right that in terms of like broad faculty buy-in to the idea that this is a necessary program we haven't had that but i kind of this actually goes back to something raquel sort of mentioned is like if you were invited to give a bridge to impacts do you know what you were ta- would talk about do you have a talk prepared and like we could answer that question but that's also a question that i think faculty should be able to answer. <laughs> yeah. and no but 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 i think it relates to why they're not there because they're not there because they're uncomfortable with the fact that they would not be able yeah. to do something like that and i actually don't because it's i mean <laughs> this goes to the relevancy thing again but whatever because it's half of what you're being funded on or a large part of what you're being funded on by the nsf you should be able to give a talk about that that's not mm-hmm. an unreasonable yeah. expectation and so normalizing that and letting everyone know that their experiences are meaningful and worth sharing and you should just be ready to share them i think that's a step that we have to take before we're going to get a lot of faculty engagement because i do think that there's just a lot of like fear and insecurity around the sense that i wouldn't be able to do that so i don't want to be in the room and that's so like i think difficult barrier to overcome but it's so funny because i think it's so like it's so shows the rot in academia that like i thought scientists were ever curious and that they wanted to answer questions that they can't <laughs> that, they, they, that they have and so the idea mm-hmm. that like you don't know how to do that so i'm not gonna go is so yeah. actually antithetical to what yeah. it means to be a scientist like yeah, you should be showing up like we're saying we don't have examples as students of our faculty mm-hmm. doing broader impacts which means the faculty aren't doing it so go to these talks so you can learn what it means yeah. but of course like there are ego things yeah. and yeah. competition things that get in the way of I think you're so right faculty being even open to being in the room but I mean we're in our what this is year two now so maybe that's part of year two goals like well and in our department like after we started bridge we also had within our department a, a day where people gave like little mini talks on their mm-hmm. broader impacts mm-hmm. and I can't speak to the extent to which bridge impacted that but it's the, you know the I timing mean, is that we came first so we'll... that's amazing to hear that they even did that yes yeah, yeah. So we have um like a professional seminar every week and so now every fall semester there's one day that's reserved for like broader impacts extravaganza and anybody can get up and talk for five minutes about broader impacts of their work that's good I mean I feel like backtracking to what we were talking about a little bit it comes down to like people being comfortable just being uncomfortable mm. in every which way of these situations whether it's just science <laughs> seminars whether it's just broader impacts yeah. like we have to start as a community being like global community being yeah. comfortable in the uncomfortable because what that means is that if you're uncomfortable i mean i can't say that's for every situation 
But in general, in these situations, when you're uncomfortable, that means you're learning. Yeah, yeah. Like you're struggling yeah. and you're learning. Yeah. And I can talk, I can say that throughout the whole, like, transition from, like, high school, grad school, undergrad, grad school, like, everything, like, I felt uncomfortable in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we have this association of, like, oh, we want to avoid that, avoid that at all yes. costs, but that's only going to inhibit us. Yeah. But yeah. it's so funny because, I, I mean... This is, like, the one of the first times I really spoke candidly about it. I felt uncomfortable in my department for, like, a straight two years. Mm-hmm. So, I don't understand. You can't feel uncomfortable for one hour? Yeah, no, I, that's exactly so what like, like you're yeah. One hour! <laughs> that's all we're one asking. One hour of your week. Just one hour of your week. No, I completely, I completely feel you on that because it's, like, you're looking at, again, like, what kind of endurance do we have? We're able to be uncomfortable almost, like... At 24 7? At 24 7? Who's paying you for that? Yeah, no, no one's paying me for that. I wish I'd be rich by now. Um, Y'all would be seeing me. I'd be done. <laughs> I'd be done. But that's, that's literally what it is. It's, we have to, as a society, have a better endurance of dealing with these uncomfortable things. Mm. Yeah. And I think I like Bridge in the fact that it's slowly giving us these tools to pick at that. More and more pe- people in departments are having practice. Like, I don't know. I guess well, I'll just say it. So the current <laughs> co-director, who is former director of SES, who's also the department head of ECO, I, the other day at Bridge to Impact, I said, I was like, Kurt's addicted to Bridge to Impact. <laughs> because he always shows up. But I think that's, like, exactly what we mean. He went to the first one because he was very oh, supportive yeah. of yeah. our yeah. initiative since it started. And he was just like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, I've never seen this before. And he has not stopped coming since, right? Yeah. He's and pumped. He's pumped. Yeah, I, I love that time. Department chair. So, yeah. like, just not a regular faculty member. Right. And you're yeah. telling us his schedule's not packed. Exactly. That he can't do But this. he makes time for it because oh, he sorry. knows <laughs> that it expands his worldview yeah. and that it helps him be a better scientist. And, like, that's why I say he's addicted to coming because I think it's, like, <laughs> the idea of, like, he's learning so much. Like, yeah. we're not even saying you learn something new every time, but, like, you widen your, you become a better scientist every time you're in that room. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just have to, another shout out to Kurt that I've been in rooms with him where he has the potential to influence other people and he's very intentional about promoting Bridge to Impacts, especially, you know, when it's that all of the department heads from SES or when it's all the department heads and the dean of our college from the College of Natural Sciences, when we've been in those rooms to say, this is Bridge, this is what we're doing, Kurt has also always stepped in to say, this impacts thing is so different from anything I've seen before. And it's so cool. If you put yourself in that room, you will leave learning something. And I think that's a great example of, even though there are a lot of people that are afraid of engaging because they don't know what it means, there are also people that are super willing to engage mm-hmm. and they are going to use their willingness to try to spread and use their enthusiasm to try to get other people interested. And I, I think like that's, I appreciate that so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Use their power and privilege. In yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's amazing because he's, he's the chair. Yeah. He's the chair and like co-director of the School of Earth and Sustainability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say this. I, I share that the same to state Texas with him, which is like. I feel like we could talk for literally. We could talk forever about Bridge, because even though it's only been in operation for such a short time, there's just been so many yeah yeah momentous occasions. Um, but I think we should also make room for talking about where Bridge is headed and. Yeah 
what we're currently doing now and to provide an update. So how, like, where, where's Bridge now? What, what are we doing, everyone? Well, I can, like, briefly just say that we started in the School of Earth and Sustainability, which encompasses five departments on campus at UMass in the College of Natural Sciences and one department in the College of Social and Behavior Sciences. And for me, the idea was, like, I first got to campus and this school was established, the School of Earth and Sustainability, and I was like, okay, cool. And now what? Like, what does that mean? And I thought, I just felt like something momentous would happen because they were like, this is the first school dedicated to sustainability mm-hmm. in New England. This will be, UMass will be the premier destination of choice for students who want to, whatever. And I was like, waiting for something to happen. And like, <laughs> no offense, nothing happened. Yeah. And like, that's why Bridge felt like the perfect thing to happen because Mm-hmm. It's, like, a way for graduate students to get together, and we can, at the same time, diversify our lecture series, but then come together over something, right? Because, like, I've loved going to, like, microbiology's Bridge Scholar and just, like, learning more about microbiology because I didn't know about it, but I actually was running the other day, and I was like, I think I would be a microbiome major if I knew about it when I was an undergrad. <laughs> so I'm, like, obsessed with microbiomes, like, all of them. But just so many things I, I wouldn't have imagined learning about, I did mm-hmm. because Bridge was the first, <gasps> like, all SES umbrella programs that brought us all together. Mm-hmm. And so now, in this academic year, we've just kicked off our phase of expanding Bridge beyond mm-hmm. the, the five departments in the School of Earth and Sustainability. And we're now including not only those departments, but also um, the largest department in the College of Natural Sciences, which is the psychological and brain sciences department pbs as well as a wick world's renowned um graduate program called the interdepartmental graduate programs which includes plant bio neuroscience and behavior cell and molecular biology and organismal and evolutionary biology and so we're really excited because this fall we've kicked off already the pbs events brain bridge we call it brain pod brain pod events and next spring we'll start the idgp pod events um but it's been really cool because every iteration of bridge from our like pilot bridge scholar to our ses bridge scholars and now our like cns bridge scholars there's been growth and so like when we when we were thinking before about 10 years in the future but also where are we going like now directly like i just see big like that's the only word it's not like up or down or this or that way it's just bigger Like, we keep scaling, we keep including more people, including more departments, getting more buy-in, getting more excitement, and just generating more energy around the idea of bringing scholars, scientists to campus to talk about their identity and their science. Just, like, big. Yeah, that's all I can see for Bridge in the future. I never, it's just a little bit surreal because I never would have imagined when we started Bridge that it would be what it is today, actually, and that it would have the like broad buy-in and involvement engagement from so many different grad students that are working within their own departments to make this vision a reality. And so thinking about what it looks like in the future is kind of hard because what it looks like now is so different than what I expected it to be yeah. two years ago. That's a really good mm-hmm. point. It's different from what it looked like just a year yeah. Here ago. Mm-hmm. Like we were Yeah, we were like scrambling. <laughs> but also very accomplished. It was that so we, hard. It yeah. was. But very like very scrambling hard. and it was
was hard, but accomplished. Mm-hmm. Like we had, so I'm really into goal setting, mm-hmm. and actually that really that like started with me and Benjamin's frustration when we were trying to organize our departmental seminar series and make it say less white male. We I talked to one of my like great life mentors, and we were told like you're thinking really big, and that's great, but you have to have a goal. Like, mm-hmm. your goal can't be, like, the most equitable, diverse seminar series you've ever seen. That's not a goal. That's not actionable. It's not timely. It doesn't... You can't measure it. Like, what's your actual goal? So, we're like, okay, our goal is at least gender parity, which means, you know... And one's color of color and, that oh, is yeah. not the you're name's right. color of color. You're right. You're right. We had gender parity, which is, means, like, you know, white women are coming. And at least one's one. color of color. color. Mm-hmm. And then we achieved that goal. And so, that was really cool. And so for Bridge, I saw it the same way. Our goal is to have five scholars in these five departments. Mm -hmm. And we did that. Yeah, it was hard and it was like a lot of work, but we did it. Mm -hmm. And so for them to be like given the opportunity to like, okay, you can think even bigger, have a bigger goal. And can like, we cheers to that? I'm sorry. Can oh, we like, yeah, yeah. like uh, that doesn't recognize the five scholars in five departments. Okay, the five scholars in five departments. Yeah, we did do that. Like, thank you. We did that, and we did do flawlessly, that. Like, it happened. It happened. Cheers, cheers, cheers. cheers. Yeah. cheers. And to be given the opportunity. So right now, I we didn't mention this, but Bridge is partnering with the Institute of Diversity Sciences at oh, UMass Amherst mm-hmm. to expand our programming into more departments and programs in CNS. And our new goal is to have five SES scholars, scholars in IDGP, mm-hmm. and scholars in PBS. So like mm-hmm. expand your programming beyond the school we started in and thinking about how can we start these conversations in many departments over this the largest college at UMass Amherst. And it's going well so far. Yeah. It's going Removing as many barriers as possible for graduate students in those departments right. to come mm-hmm. in and do the work. like. Yeah. Yeah, it's been rewarding removing barriers that we've initially come up against. Right. Yeah. For the incoming graduate students are also taking ownership over this work in their department. And I would say that was like that was a really great byproduct of us. And I don't think we ever thought we were thinking small, but I mean we were thinking within our means and yeah. uh, within what we had control over. Because like starting in SES, it was so easy to say to IDGP, right? Hey, but look, it's working in SES. Don't mm. you want that? Like mm. you know. And, <laughs> hey, PBS is working here. Like, it was so Mm -hmm. easy to show people. And I think that was our focus, too, with our first Bridge Scholar. We were like, this doesn't need to be the, like, perfect situation. It just needs to happen to show people what it can be because Mm -hmm. we need buy-in. We need people to know this is not an idea in some crazy graduate students who have too much time on their hand because they're not TAing's head. It's actually, like, a real thing that can make an impact on campus. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just had really... been in part of a lot of initiatives things that you just decide we need to do something and do it but my favorite part about bridge is that we've just set goals and met them and then set bigger goals Mm -hmm. and so i'm really excited for this year to meet the biggest goal we've had Mm -hmm. but then also to set a bigger goal that's like the thing i'm most looking forward to Mm -hmm. and i think the the future of bridge it's such a good question and if I just think about Bridge at, like, a really large scale. I mean, I remember that I had a really formative experience with a visiting scholar that came to give a lecture in my department. But it wasn't it wasn't during the lecture time. Someone came to give a talk, and there was, like, an informal coffee hour in the beginning of the day. And there was just, like, a handful of grad students and a handful of faculty that were there. And during that hour, the person shared 
sort of informally their experience being in a same-sex partnership and raising a child. And they were just kind of talking about the difficulties associated with that at the university where they were. And it was really eye-opening for me. I'd never heard somebody in a scientific kind of context mm -hmm. share that information. And it was a sort of a, this little moment when I kind of thought like, okay, cool, someone else has had this experience that I sort of relate to. I don't know if I want to have kids, but that I could see myself maybe relating to. It's really powerful that they shared that. But of course, they didn't share it in like the in front of the whole department when like you don't actually know how many people in the audience might be interested in hearing about that or that might affect. I was lucky to be in that room. And I think I actually just gave, uh, I was invited to give a talk at a university just this last week. And when I was being introduced, the person introducing me was saying about the kind of research that I did, the publications that I had, and then they started talking about bridge. And I wasn't really expecting that. But they, she said, you know, he's done all this work and he started this really cool program. And it was good, prescient, because I had also decided that I wanted to have a couple slides about Bridge in the beginning of my talk. And I think it, when I think about the long-term future, I would hope that whenever anybody is invited to give a talk and share their work, they see their work as not just being the research that they do, but also other parts of their experience in their career that could be useful to share broadly with the folks that you're visiting. And that I that is what would make Bridge obsolete. And what I would love to see someday is just that there's a opportunity for anybody who's invited to not just talk about their science, but mm. to talk about who they are as a person, why they're in the place that they are, what they do that brings them joy that's not just their scientific research. Mm -hmm. I think with that, I think that was a beautiful discussion and conversation I've had with you guys. Um, and I thank everybody here for listening to us. Check us out. We have a blog. I'll be sharing a lot of information once this video goes up. So thank you again, everybody, for listening. And if you want to reach out and ask any questions, feel free to... Or nominate a scholar. Or nominate a scholar. Bridge at UMass at EDU. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us there again. This is Maddie, your co-host for PhD Trickers, a podcast on the interface of science, sociopolitical discourse, and intimate life journeys. Again, you can find us wherever podcasts are streamed. And until next time, see you guys. Thank you.